first, everything else after. Welcome to What's Betwixt Us, Stories of Working While Human. I'm Lissa Mandel. What's Betwixt Us is a series of conversations about empathy at work, at work. It's about diving into the messiness and the specificity of being human on the job, any job, and how empathy isn't just a nice-sounding buzzword for company PR. It's a rebellious act of remembering that we're human first, everything else after. Today on What's Betwixt Us, I chatted with the kind, quick-to-laugh Robin Gelfenbein. Robin is a writer, storyteller, comedian, speaker, and creative director. She's the host and creator of the critically acclaimed storytelling show, Yum's the Word, for which she makes homemade ice cream cakes. With an employment history that runs the gamut from advertising to driving the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, Robin was bursting with personal examples to share of empathy on the job. Please enjoy Episode 2, The Intersection of Empathy and Hot Dog Cars, with Robin Gelfenbein. on the back but like there I just had some like recent things that I was reminded of that I've done but it's just like who I am it's not like I'm looking for praise and I won't get into the specifics but one was like reaching out to my local grocery worker in New York Mm -hmm. we're we're already like friends like I give her hugs all the time when I see her I have dance parties in the grocery store when I walk in so what neighborhood in New York are you talking about upper west Uh uh-huh um, and so I reached out to her like a few weeks into the pandemic. Cause it's like a small grocery store. I'm like, they're not going to have plexiglass shields and stuff, you know? Um, so I, I'll tell you more about it. You can keep it or not. I don't care. Um, well, but, uh, yeah, yeah. no, I, when you go for it, I, I would love to, I think this is a great launch point. Um, Robin, um, uh, as a storyteller, I think that you have actually, um, sort of a superhuman strength in your ability to connect with people. And also because you've heard such a huge variety of stories from such a Mm -hmm. huge variety of backgrounds, Mm -hmm. it gives you more perspective. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a great place to start. Tell me about your grocery store employee. I want to. Okay. So her name is Celeste. I always say Celeste is the best. And I tell her that every time I go in, she, I've been living in that neighborhood for, um, since 2004. So I've been there for a long time and she's been working at that grocery store since 97 or 98. I love that so, you know this. <laughs> well, that's how like, how like tight with her I yep. am. I mean, I say tight, but like, I just, I love her. I just, I'm, I've, my, my dad taught me at a really young age to always treat everybody equally. Meaning like, because I think part of it was because my grandmother, his mother was a secretary. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, people often overlook um, people who have, you know, administrative roles or even like custodial roles as like lesser than, and they're often invisible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this goes for all kinds of people. Like, you know, I don't know if you read Hunger by Roxane Gay. Parts. Yeah. Yes. So she talks about feeling like, it's like you're invisible, but you're also incredibly visible. Mm -hmm. So he, anyway, he instilled in me that you should like, always thank people for, you know, no matter what and say hello. It's like, it's not, you're you're just being a human being, you know, it's just like making a, like a genuine connection. And so I've always loved doing that. I, I mean, 
I, I know like a bunch of the supers on my block just because I say hello. It's not, it's so like, it's so basic, you know? I, know. I feel like this too. And I think it's something that, uh, I took for granted for a really long time, but like, you know, I've been working on and off in the service industry for years mm -hmm. and I would come in and I would just say, you know, to my fellow coworkers, to the bartender friend of mine, Oh, I like those earrings. Your hair looks great today, mm -hmm. whatever. And mm -hmm. it didn't cost me anything. No. Of course and not. then they would be like, wow, you're so nice. You're just uh -huh. so nice. I'm like, I don't feel like I'm going above and beyond. I feel like yeah. this is like basic human decency. Totally. Yeah. Completely. And I even do, uh, it's, it's like so at my core cause I'm such a people person mm -hmm. that I'm just genuinely interested in people. And I have tremendous empathy for all kinds of people. I mean, even like the smallest thing, one thing I love doing, and I have to say, I kind of miss it because I haven't been going out for coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there were many times where I would just go in and buy something and they always say to you, um, can I get your name? Mm -hmm. And I'll say Robin. And I always say, what's your name? And most of the time they are so taken aback because nobody ever really engages with them or talks to them. Right. Because they, they think of it as, as transactional. They're trained to think of it as transactional. Mm -hmm. And that is how they become invisible. I think that's so great that you do that. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I, so I know Anthony mm -hmm. and like to the point where like I texted Anthony too. I was like, Hey, how are you doing? Who's Anthony? Is Anthony? Anthony was like uh, like a guy at a local coffee shop. Got you. I was like checking in on him. Um, I don't know, like a month plus ago. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Hey, it's your favorite customer." <laughs> 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 I no, I didn't necessarily say that, but I was like, "Hey, it's Rob." You know, I was like, "He." I mean, he always. It, it's just like it like lets people's guards down. Just yes. that simple thing. So many times when I've done that, because I'll go into like any coffee shop and they always want to know your name for the cup. And then they're so, like I said, they're so taken aback. But so often I just get a smile or, well, thanks. Or like, it's just some sort of acknowledgement right. that you are a fellow human being. Exactly. And I will just, you know, I mean, I could talk to people for days. So, but you know, there's a, usually a line, so I can't get in too much of a conversation, <laughs> but I just like, I can't even tell you, like, I could be having like the crappiest morning. Like I'll, I'll like get up, work out and then go get coffee sometimes. And then, you know, what, it just always turns things around because they're just, they're just like grateful, but it kind of mixes up, like up the monotony, I think. Yes. I completely agree. And I think that I've really missed, I mean, during this whole pandemic and quarantine time, I've missed more than anything going to a coffee shop just mm -hmm. to make contact with the barista mm -hmm. and then sit and do my work among other people. Even if I'm mm -hmm. not talking to them, it's like the proximity to other people makes me mm -hmm. feel more human. Sure. And even if I don't, I can brew coffee at home every day, Yeah, yeah. but I still want to go out and get it. So I have that little bit of interaction. So totally. yeah. actually, this is a good question for you because you have your finger on the pulse so much of, of people and their humanity. Have you noticed? Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so clear. Have you noticed the shift um, in the interactions that you do have with people in their hunger to connect? Do you think that um, do you think that the pandemic is making people more aware of their humanity or less? I think certainly at the beginning of it here in the states, mm -hmm. 
people really were reaching out a lot, getting on the phone again and having long conversations with people and people they hadn't been in touch with in a long time. And I certainly had that as well. But I also thought this is like my norm to have um, long conversations with people. I leave voicemails. It's like people say, oh, I love getting people's voicemails now because I can hear their voice. And it's like, yeah, that should have been, to me, it, it's like a constant for me. But, um, but again, because I'm so extroverted and I'm such a people person, and I definitely think there's been a real longing for that. And there's been um, people's um, desire for connection and for and seeing people's humanity for like the simplest things. Right. But I also feel like there's that kind of has waned as people's um, frustration with being cooped up Mm-hmm. you know, has, um, has grown. And um, I feel like that dropped off at a certain point. So it was a sense where I feel like there were certain people I was speaking to every single day, whether it was like single friends or certain family members. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was reaching out a lot too. And I think, you know, it's funny because as outgoing as I am, I actually have worked from home for a very long time. Ah. So I was a very accustomed to the sort of like self-isolation and I knew already like what that was like and how to manage that and how, um, if I've been, I, I was for the better part of a year prior to this, I was like working from home all the time and I was very, very depressed. And, um, so I already like knew like how I managed through that. And so when the pandemic started, like before, before, I mean, again, here in the States, like I sprung into action because I was like, I'm going to do a social distancing show. I'm going to do a show for kids because my friends are probably going to be crawling the walls. And so I just did all these things to like share what I think are my gifts, you know, make people laugh or make people smile or just like, I love children. So um, those little things, but I do think it's kind of, I don't get as many phone calls though. I mean, has, have you felt like that? Like people have kind of I mean, it's sort of the same. like fatigue with that too? Fatigue, yes. Definitely fatigue with, with like electronic connection can only go so far. And I, um, and I do feel like when the quarantine started, it was definitely a novelty for, for a while. And it was like, what are all the creative ways that we can bring humanity into our spaces, even as we're Mm -hmm. we're feeling isolated. But then when it dragged on for a longer period of time, Mm -hmm. um, people started having a harder time with it. But I, something that you said really resonates with me, which is this feeling of having worked from home before, having understood isolation before. And I've, many of my artist friends have felt the same way, which is that when this all started, when the quarantine started, we felt somehow uniquely qualified and ready Mm -hmm. to live in this way Mm -hmm. and sort of to set an example for how to continue to reach out and stay connected, even when we're, we can't leave our houses. So, I would love to hear actually from a storyteller's point of view um, about producing shows and, um, and, and how you feel about the level of uh, connectivity, like real human mm-hmm. connection that you're getting mm-hmm. and what have been the pluses and the, and the minuses mm-hmm. of that. Sure. Yeah. It's funny that you say that being like uniquely qualified mm-hmm. to um, sort of prepare yourself and others or manage how you're going to live. I had something similarly happen in terms of producing shows too, because I had hosted shows for Microsoft last year in virtual reality. What? Uh Wait, 
What? Wait, can <laughs> yeah. you describe describe the step by step of what that looks like? It's nuts. First of all, <laughs> first of all, like I never used VR. Like I, I, I like worn a VR headset before, but I wasn't. Um, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't where I actually was hearing people. It was just like, you know, have you ever, have you ever worn a VR headset where you're I've, kind I've of... never gotten to wear one yet. No. Oh, okay. So it's trippy. I'm sure you, I'm sure you've heard that. Mm-hmm. So what the, but the first time I ever experienced it was at some like, I don't know, some like ad conference or something, but it was very visual and, and, uh, it was like a, like a movie, but you feel like it's this 360 degree experience, sure. but I wasn't hearing people speak to me. And that really tripped me out because, um, I, um, uh, so they trained me on how to use the headset. Mm-hmm. And then I was an avatar in this illustrated, in this fictitious comedy club uh-huh. that was all like, animated you know it was like this illustrated animated world so you looked out inside your goggles and you saw lots of fake people populating the house correct so there were other (laughs) avatars in there yeah it was the trippiest thing i i really was like what i mean it was it was it it was so wild i mean it was such a fascinating experience also a fascinating human experience because um you could hear we 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 had people like as like administrators in the background kind of helping manage people because sometimes people would be like loud or saying inappropriate things or whatever so they were but, speaking but but you couldn't hear them speaking sometimes i could but most of the time you couldn't sometimes somehow they would like override that and then i would hear some like teenage kids <laughs> like sound like beavis and Butthead. i was just like <laughs> jesus christ what am i doing in my life but um <laughs> but um so i learned a lot about user engagement in terms of like how do we get these are comedy shows i'm producing and so i did two one was um the uh 12 gays of christmas mm-hmm. and it was all lgbtq plus um for, uh storytellers and comedians mm-hmm. and then i did um i did sunday pun day and that was all storytellers and then we'd have like a pun competition and then I would have it be for the audience as well. And I would encourage them to be part of the pun off. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot about just like, all right, show us lots of emojis. And, and then they had different emojis, but in addition to just like getting comfortable in the, in the truly like in the space, like mm-hmm. in this fictitious space, wearing this Fakakta thing, also <laughs> you have a controller in your hand. So you're like hitting different um, buttons that are syncing to this world. So I had to get my, my fake self on and off stage. So I had to like wow. beam myself off stage and beam myself back on stage. And then I also, this was like one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. I had the, I had the privilege of getting to kick people out. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, if you misbehave, your ass is out of here. And so, cause sometimes people would do like, it was so strange. Like they, one, one person, I don't know who they were, but they went and like put their fake hands and like grabbed one of the performers chest, like oh from the gosh. back. It was a woman. And she's like, I cannot believe I was just assaulted in a virtual world. I was like, this is, and so I kicked that person out. So I renamed my avatar. I went from Gelf girl to the bouncer. That wow. was very official. <laughs> Wait, so, okay. So my question is then, if you're not actually in a room with any of these people and these people are not actually in a room with each other, 
is there a way that there's feedback? Obviously there's some feedback if an audience member can virtually grab a performer's chest, but did you, were you able to hear any feedback afterward, positive or negative, or you couldn't hear laughter or clapping? No, so you'd see emojis, but, but there was like a flurry of them, you know, sort of like in sure. Instagram, if you see hearts, so I'd be like, give us hearts, give us smiley sure. faces, whatever. Um, I could enable certain people's mics. So I might call, quote unquote, call on somebody, but you couldn't hear people actually audibly laughing. And a lot of comics didn't want to do it. Understandably. Right. They um, need that dopamine drip. Totally. I completely yeah. get it. So then transitioning to doing shows um, virtually yes. during this pandemic, I had been doing like Facebook lives for a really long time. So I was already used to like, getting no response audibly, right. you know, I mean, but there's comments. Again, uh, uniquely qualified for this time period. Yeah, completely. Um, so yeah, so I knew what to do. If I know you got to wait a couple minutes, let people come into the room, come into the show, whatever it is. Like there's all kinds of strategies to it. And because I was so motivated to like make people smile and laugh and really kind of help them through this time. I went hog wild into researching all these different live stream platforms. Wow. And I put a Google doc together that I shared with like the storytelling and comedy communities. I was like, this, these are the pros and cons for each one of these platforms. And then I put a doc together on like lighting and audio and all this stuff. Cause I just wanted to be helpful. Um, and I wound up producing four yums, the word shows. And I chose a platform that's actually not zoom um deliberately i you know i did a lot of research before i chose which one obviously i did a lot of research i put a doc together but because i was like which you know i find it very distracting in zoom when you can see everybody sure. and they're like opening the fridge they're checking out talking yeah and i find that so distracting and i don't want that for myself as a host nor um, the performers, you know? Right. So I went with Crowdcast and you can do the same thing in Zoom, but um, it was kind of, I set it up where it's like, we're kind of like a morning, like a radio morning show. Mm -hmm. And we left the mics on for, for all the performers so we could laugh at each other's things. Right. And when I opened the show, it's like we all chit chat for a little while. Mm -hmm. You can see all four screens. Helps like focus the audience too. So the audience, nobody is visible in the audience. They only have a chat feature. If I want to invite somebody in, I can do that. Mm -hmm. um, but that way you've got a little bit of feedback, you know? Sure. So, but I mean, I think the chat is so much fun because I'm already like somebody who likes to connect with people as it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I feel like it's so important to talk to them and acknowledge them and let them know we see you. We, we don't really hear you, but, um, we know you're here and we appreciate your support and all that kind of stuff. And it, it reminded me of like when I was a kid watching, like, I'm, I, I know I'm older than you, but there was this show called Romper Room. I remember Romper Room. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So she'd have her mirror mm -hmm. and she'd say things like, well, she would never say Lissa and she would never say Robin, but, <laughs> whatever, the, <laughs> but whatever the popular names were at the time, she'd be like, I see Billy and I see Tommy and I see right. John and I see Linda, you know, like whatever. Yeah. And you're like, you're just sitting there like waiting for her to say your name. 
And I know that people get a little bit of a dopamine hit when they hear their name in a Facebook live, even if they're not. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's really, really important. And, um, so yeah, it's, it, it, you know, I, um, I was doing the show every two weeks and then we were noticing the numbers dropping off, mm-hmm. even though I promote like crazy. Um, you know, it's just like people are tired of looking at screen. Exhaustion. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I want to go back now because I could talk about comedy and storytelling with of you course. all day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. And but... I also want to make sure we, I tell you the Celeste story, but go ahead. Oh, <laughs> Well, tell no, me. No, go ahead. I'll, I'll remember it. Just go ahead. I want to go back. I want to, I want to go back and talk about the Wienermobile because, oh, yes. um, first of all, okay. So you said that you're the oldest kid of what, four? No, I'm the oldest of three. Of three. Did ever, did all the other kids in your family get this gene where they are so eager to connect and are so outgoing or is that a you thing? That's definitely a me thing. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you, Robin, and when did you find yourself with this Wienermobile job? And I want to hear about the human connection that you found in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I um, was a senior in college mm-hmm. during a recession. And, and I don't mean the most recent one. <laughs> um, <laughs> this was before you had access to the web. Um, where it was easy to look for jobs. I was looking through like a binder, right. um, but uh, they had an information session, Oscar Mayer, with a poster of the Wienermobile. And I was like, what in the hell is that? Like, that looks amazing. <laughs> and without getting into too much detail, I was actually like, I had a, a really pretty crappy college experience. And so my self-esteem mm-hmm. was in the toilet. And, um, and I just was feeling pretty hopeless until I saw this poster, um, went to the information session and they were looking for the title is actually hot doggers. Um, and they wanted people to not only represent the brand, which was big at the time, because obviously there's no Facebook or Instagram or any kind of digital connection with their consumers, but they also, a huge part of the job was being on camera. So we were their spokespeople. I was on TV and the radio and newspaper, and I was pitching stories all the time. So that was a huge part of the job was getting media wherever we went. And we also planned events too. Like we took kids to the prom in the Wienermobile. Oh yeah. We delivered meals on wheels. Like it was, we were in parades. I got to go to Mardi Gras. Like it was super, super fun. Did you drive it or were you just on board? Like as the tour guide? I drove it and I was the spokesperson and (laughs) yeah. So I like, you know, if, uh, if I needed to go to the movies, I took the Wienermobile. If I needed to do laundry, I took the Wienermobile. Like that was was my car. That was my only mode mode of transportation. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So so, imagine that, that invited a lot of attention it sure did and 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 did you have any like extraordinary especially memorable experiences with strange talking to strangers on that uh yeah and i think there was also i mean at the at the risk of sounding incredibly boastful it's it's an it's a really hard job to get sure um i was I had a 1% chance of getting that job. I was one of 10 people chosen out of a thousand applicants. The only reason I bring that up is to say that you're representing the company and they wanted people who could talk to everyday people and get along with people and be really friendly. And, um, and I was in all these 
I mean, I was in New York. The you know, first time I ever drove in New York City was in the Wienermobile. Wow. But I, I know that was terrifying. Um, but I, because <clears throat> there's no, there's no rear view mirror. We only <laughs> had side mirrors. And this was also <laughs> before there's like a camera that shows you what's behind you. Right. So um, I, but we also visited tons and tons of small towns. And I remember seeing children walking into grocery stores completely barefoot. And their hand, wow. they would come over to get a wiener whistle and their hands were filthy. Wow. And you would just like treat them like anybody else, you know, like, hi, do you want to go inside and like answer all the questions? And I, so that really, that really stuck out to me. I mean, I grew up in the Hartford area, <clears throat> um, but I don't remember ever seeing children without shoes, you know, walking into grocery stores. And, um, you know, we, of course we got to meet celebrities too, but I remember one time, we were in um, this really small town in Pennsylvania called Tyrone, Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. And we were there for Tyrone Days, which was like this weekend festival. Mm-hmm. And the local minister came over and said hello. And he said, I hope you will join us for worship tomorrow morning. So we were talking to him on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, thank you very much for the offer, but I'm Jewish, so you know, I won't be able to join you. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I drove with this guy, Jason, um, which is like a whole other story because we were complete opposites. But anyway, <laughs> minister looks at me and he says, sorry, you're Jewish. Ooh. And turns around and walks away. <gasps> wow. And Yeah, and Jason and I looked at each other like, what? And we we laughed about it because we just thought like, this is so absurd. And and the minister was also like, he wasn't saying it to be anti-Semitic, but it, there was just something tonally that was weird. <laughs> and also, meanwhile, like my, my uncle's a Roman Catholic priest. So, you know, wow. I was like, you don't even know who you're dealing with, dude. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, there was- Father Gelfenbein. <laughs> There's true. a level of- vulnerability that you needed to embody just Mm -hmm. by being inside of that truck because Mm. it's so high visibility Mm -hmm. and because it attracts the attention of everybody like Mm -hmm. regardless of race religion anything sure um that you were basically setting an example for total openness like when i think about i admire i never looked at it like that that's interesting i never looked at it like that that's really yeah well I admire that you that you took that job, recognizing that it was a very hard Thank job you. to get. But I never I was desperate for it. <laughs> well, yes, but like you could have. I mean, that's a very special job. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I would have done it because of the that kind of attention mm. that it would draw. And I think mm-hmm. that you have to be a really strong person, um, like strong and vulnerable at the same time, mm. to be mm-hmm. able to drive something that, first of all, could could get a lot of you know, negative comments. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Can I mean, the people are like, oh, it's a dick truck, you know? Yeah, exactly. But the way I, the way I looked at it was like, oh my gosh, and this may sound like so Pollyanna, but I was like, I get to make people's days everywhere I go. Because for the most part, people are genuinely excited to see you and they're so happy. Like, it's just like what I do at coffee shops. You know, I make their day in like with the smallest, well, whatever. The Wiener Mobile is not small, but like, but just saying, like, <laughs> by just saying, like, um, what's your name? You know, or, you know, like, whatever. But, <laughs> but I, that, that was what like really drew me to it. 
because I just want, I mean, I call myself the ambassador of fun. Like I just love to put a smile on somebody's face. Wait, what is Again, that? like that sounds like so basic and like. I love it. But I, I mean, obviously I do too, but. Well, yeah. oh, it's, it's, uh, your, your LinkedIn, I just realized this today that your LinkedIn tagline is expect the fun expected, which is yes. adorable. Thanks. Puns. Um, I love puns. I, by the way, I came yeah. up with the word adorkable before the new girl used it like years earlier. Oh, you, like, you needed to trademark that. I know. I know. I'm so mad at myself. <laughs> and then I didn't even watch the show based on that principle alone. <laughs> just like, okay, maybe somebody needs to let something go, but um, <laughs> it's okay. But You're it, allowed to have ego. You're allowed. Thank so, you. I, I appreciate um, it. I would I, like to know, because I know that you've also had, I mean, you've had many different lives in this life and now like, that a, like a cat exactly exactly <laughs> I know that you've spent some time in the corporate world mm -hmm. and so and and that to me is like the most I think it's like a challenge like a tough nut to crack because okay. if you're in the storytelling performing world you're with other people who are super empathetic and connecting oh my god so yes what I would love to know is if you have any moments or stories of connection in the corporate world mm -hmm um, slash whether any of those skills in the Wienermobile segued into the corporate world. Hmm. Um, this is a lot of questions. You can answer one at a time. Oh, no, it's totally fine. And I, I well, it's funny. Cause like when you said, think of like empathy questions, I thought of where there was a lack of empathy more than sure where I experienced empathy, which is sad because I, I hate to say the majority of my experiences have not been terribly empathetic. Also working in advertising. Um, yeah, that, but I, wanna, I would love to hear about that too, because I think yeah. it's important to shed light on it. When I, I had such high hopes after the Wienermobile job, I was like, what job could possibly be as good as this or even better? Very few could top it. And I really wanted to work for the Olympics mm -hmm. in Atlanta and they brought me in just because I think they just wanted to hear Wienermobile stories. I mean, I, I sat there and talked to them for hours, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, I feel like I talked to almost anybody for hours because even though I like to talk, I really like to, I like to listen too because I'm just curious about people's experiences sure. and their, and their stories. And I think quite often I'm so bothered by people being short with others, you know, um, this is why I, I don't know that I should have grown up in New England because I feel like people here are, are just mm -hmm. culturally, traditionally, a little bit more shut down, a little bit more oh. repressed than mm -hmm. other areas of the country. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree with you on that. Um, so, um, I mean, in, it's so in terms of like bad empathy stories. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't. I. I it's terrible that I don't have better ones. I mean. But like the it's, point of having the conversation is to bring it to light so that we can, you know, see how we could do it differently now. Because I really do think, and I'm curious about your opinion on mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. I think in the past few years, even, we've come such a huge long way in terms of work culture and the mm -hmm. importance of empathy in work culture. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested to see like those markers of how far we've come. Do you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, I think some industries might be a little bit better at it than others but obviously there's no you can't really generalize any anything like that but um I, I it's funny because um do you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is I do so I worked for him um as a creative director for a while mm -hmm. and 
I actually found him incredibly empathetic and I really, um, I, I know people like have very, have different, differing opinions on him. Some people really love him and are um, really passionate about the message, messages he shares right. uh, and other people are like, I can't stand that guy. <laughs> um, but I, I was surprised at how, how much he really listened when I was, when I was there. I mean, I haven't worked there in many years. Um, and then from there, I went to one of the worst ad jobs I've ever had, um, where I was not listened to, not respected. And I just felt like, you're lucky that I'm even here. Cause like the work you're doing like pales in comparison to what I was just doing. But, um, but that culture was so toxic and, you know, a lot of empathy. Um, there's a lot of overlap with empathy and trust. Sure. And I remember I was working for this guy and it's funny cause I was writing this down before we got on this call and I was like, I can't even remember the guy's name who I reported to. Like, that's how like, difficult he was well you shut him out you shut him out of that you don't have space for him in the apartment of your brain that's right you know what i wrote down i just wrote down meh because he had a sweatshirt (laughs) he had a sweatshirt that said meh and i was like that completely captures who you are and what your attitude is like and you know me i'm like fun and silly but i also take my work incredibly seriously and i and i do so much care about people and this was a complete opposite experience for me so there was one one day, and I was also, I've always been like, um, I always, you know, say hi to the receptionist or, you know, when you walk in in the morning. So you humanize like, everybody. Yeah, exactly. It's like, again, it's like, it's not hard. Right. You're just being, and now everybody's heads are, you know, buried yeah. in their phones. And I'm even like big on that. Like my phone is on silence. Usually I have it face down when I'm with people. Mm-hmm. I'm not just like constantly checking it. But um, the, the, the receptionist told me that, um, she's like, they are going to be working on uh, the pipes in the building. So we're not going to have heat for a couple of days. And this was in January, a few years ago in New York. And I said, well, well, are they going to give us a heads up and give us the option to work from home? Because we shouldn't have to work in an office where there's absolutely no heat. Right. And she said, no, they weren't going to let anybody know. And I was like, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely like, it's cruel. It's inhumane. It's just, it's rude. It's like, it's not doing anything to support your employees. And this is coming from the president. Wow. Uh And um, it was a small company, but so I was like, all right, I, I went in, I brought, you know, my long ass coat that I call a sleeping bag. Yes. I had gloves. I had a woman like lent me her hat. I had a scarf. Somebody didn't need their space heater. I, I'm also somebody who's just cold all the time. I'm like yeah. one of those people. Me too. So like it was that much worse, you know? Yeah. So I had this like little space heater under my desk and I uh, faced this guy. I honestly don't remember. Oh, I know. It just came to me. But um, <laughs> you don't have to share it. No, I'm not going to. We'll call him Jack for jackass. Okay. So <laughs> he sat across from me. He, you know, he had a big Mac monitor and I'm working on a PC and like not to sound like a snob, but like in creative departments, you usually have a Mac because for the Adobe, you know, creative suite. Right. Whatever. So he comes in, he sits down, he fires up his computer and he blows a fuse. 
So he goes over the fuse box and, and turns it back on, mm-hmm. comes back over, turns his computer on again, and he blows the fuse again, goes back over to the fuse box, turns back on, comes back. And he's kind of looking around our, we just had tables, you know, like looking around the desks. And he goes, I'm going to need you to unplug that space heater. No. And I said, Jack, there's no heat in the building. So I'm not going to unplug the space heater. You can find another plug for your computer. And I'm always like really nice. And I try to be really understanding and patient. But I was like, fuck you. How dare you? How dare you? Well, you have a boundary. That's a personal boundary. And you were already, the fact that you're there, I'm picturing you in your sleeping bag, puffy coat, (laughs) totally bundled. Mm -hmm. Um, Because honestly, working in a lot of office buildings in New York Mm -hmm. is pretty dehumanizing as it is. I mean, it's dehumanizing or it's like the ultimate humanizer because everyone is in each other's business, smelling each other's sweat, Mm -hmm. whatever. And um, it's like a sacrifice just to be there. Mm-hmm. so it's true did, did he respond to you yeah he was really i think he was very caught off by how direct i was with him and sure. he's oh, okay and this is also somebody who like rarely presented my me- my ideas to the client i think he felt threatened by me to some extent because i had you know, really good ideas and i most people in the creative team liked me better than him he was completely paranoid he had such a control issue but everybody in that office was had a control issue and obviously including the president to the point where that receptionist and i'm so now i'm like hating that i don't remember her name because <laughs> i i really liked her we talked all the time i'd ask her about her son like we would just like chit chat she's always like you're so nice she's like i just love talking to you i was like i'm just you know, we're making coffee. Like I'm getting ready. Like yeah. I'm not going to be dismissive of you. Yeah. And she came to me once and she said, I said, it's freezing in here today. This is when the heat was supposedly on. Right. And she's like, she goes, I know I'm really sorry. I said, well, can we, you know, adjust the thermostat or anything? And she said, no, she said, I did that once. And, uh, I don't remember the president's name. She said, but the president noticed the temperature difference Mm -hmm. and he went over and he adjusted it back to whatever his preferred temperature is this is probably an office full of like 25 or 30 people all open space of course right and she said that he went looked at the security cameras saw that she had adjusted the thermostat and like chastised her oh my gosh and i was like you're such a dick like <laughs> i don't know can i even swear on this podcast i feel like i'm just like you know, i know it's for i'm gonna say yes and if we have to beep it out we'll beep it out but yeah i, I mean i have a potty mouth generally speaking so I, i'm gonna okay. say i should have asked you this beforehand no, but when okay. i was like about to go Fuck. <laughs> and I'm, like, You're a dick. I'm like like it was just so it was awful working yeah. there i they they did not care about their people at all and coming from like gary were at the time like yeah, you know he's had his missteps throughout the years too but like i felt like he actually treated his employees quite well so i felt like i did like a 180 um and you know it's of course like you know not all men but in my experience in the ad world i've had most of the really horrible experiences i've had have been with men yeah who and have I, no empathy it's <laughs> again not all men again right, i swear also- to you a cultural thing that I think that we're working through now very much as a society 
um, going through the growth pains of dealing with the, the idea of toxic masculinity, dealing with mm -hmm. the idea of men being the way they are because they haven't, it hasn't been okay for them societally to show vulnerability. So what mm. happens instead is they become aggressive, you know, because they're yeah. not processing feelings. And sure. I wonder, you telling me these stories makes me wonder if the same way in which we're all feeling empowered, like groups are feeling empowered to call out behaviors yeah. that aren't helpful, whether mm -hmm. that be like with women or with people of color or with LGBTQ communities, like mm -hmm. people finally feeling um, strong enough to speak truth to power. I wonder if that will bleed into like the issue of empathy and work culture as well. I, I think so. I, I, I think it has to. I mean, and I've always been such an advocate, you know, obviously as somebody who's a storyteller and I teach storytelling too. Once you hear someone's story, you can't, you can't help but not like have empathy for them. Absolutely. Um, whatever, whatever it is. And it's because we as human beings are programmed to connect over our stories. Mm -hmm. That's how we make decisions. It's like you have an emotional connection to something or you have, um, or like our mind, there's like, I forgot, I forgot which side of our brain, science was my worst subject in school, but like one side of the brain makes decisions based on a beginning, middle and end. So there's a lot connected in there. And if you're sharing something like from your heart and you have some universal truth in there, people will feel compassion for you. Even if it's somebody who's got like, who's like so hard nosed and got such a cold heart, I've got to believe there's like a, there's somewhere inside them where they've got some level of like empathy for somebody. Beautiful. I feel Whether it changes them or not but just i think once you hear people's stories like and that also gets cemented in your in your mind you know that's the way in i mean that's the way in mm -hmm. is if you're generalizing people you're dehumanizing them and as soon as you hear their specifics you can't mm -hmm. unhear that it's like you know the next level of them you know mm -hmm. yeah but it's scary for people and it's absolutely scary to be vulnerable in a corporate setting and it, the you know, because so often people equate vulnerability with like TMI or sharing your deepest, darkest secrets. But the true definition of it really is, and yes, that's certainly part of it, but the true definition of it is just that showing that you're human and that you're flawed. Exactly. So it can be as simple as if somebody in a meeting says to somebody else, hey, did they, um, did the uh, client, um, I'm trying to think of a good example, like, um, uh, you know, did we, did we fact check slide eight? Right. And somebody doesn't know, but they're just like, oh yeah, uh-huh. Because they don't want to look stupid. Exactly. All you have to do is go, you know what? I'm not sure. Let me check. Right. There's a fear in that because there's, there's no room for human flaws, as you mentioned. And I think that corporate mm -hmm. structures were created for productivity and not necessarily yeah. for, for human flaws because humans don't, humans don't function in a, in a regimented way, the way a computer would, but like mm -hmm. what makes, what builds the most profit is like the d most direct line. And so, um, I sort of wonder if now that we are in, so many people are working remotely, mm -hmm. um, and not in 
actual office buildings, if that mm -hmm. will alter how regimented and structured we are expected to be, um, even if mm -hmm. we're part of corporate systems, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw something in the New York Times a few months ago that really bothered me. I understand why, um, why it exists, but it really upset it really upset me because it was this productivity tracker essentially where it was spying on employees um, computers so they could see how productive they were being what they were looking at when they were logged in when they weren't which you know what were they surfing and I just felt like I mean obviously I know Big Brother exists and all that but I just felt like that's you being afraid to your point about it, it all stems from fear absolutely are you not trusting your employees absolutely and then you create greater fear on their part to show up and be like so paranoid about what they are or aren't doing you know for for all for all the company knows like somebody in the adjoining room could be dying from covid you know right. and you just it's not so like, you know, so cut and dry like that, but that made me so angry because I was like, that's just instilling like fear begets more fear. Yeah. And, and so then that would, I would not want to work for a company like that. And I, I wouldn't trust them. Right. And that leads me to actually not want to work harder for them. If right. I know I'm being watched the whole time, it's like, what? if you just believe and trust your employees to do what they're supposed to do, you're not watching over them the whole time, then let like i think if you like release some of that hold and give people that kind of autonomy that winds up giving allowing them to be more productive ultimately well i agree and i think that trust um it has to go both ways and sure. and uh, that systems like that that spy on your computer that spy on your clicks or like your can see your desktop um are implicitly centering the company over the human being mm -hmm. who's doing mm -hmm. the work. And um, yeah, distrust creates more distrust. I'm totally with you on that. Um, yeah, it's really upsetting. And I know that like, yeah, not everybody is gonna be 100%, but you know, some people are like, sweet pandemic, let me like, yeah, I'm gonna goof off. And like, I, I know that that exists, I'm not an idiot, but, <laughs> but I just feel like if you're instilling that much fear, it's not gonna create a good culture ultimately for your organization. Yeah, agreed. Well, Robin, I want to get back around to Celeste. Yes. So, I want to talk about Celeste, and I do want to tell you something that's actually quite vulnerable, too. Yeah. Um, connected to the Wiener Mobile. Um, right. So Celeste. Yes. I love Celeste. Celeste is the best. Um, so it was, it was, I had been thinking about her so much because there were, there was so much attention being paid, and rightly so, to essential workers. And I... I kept thinking about her and because she's not working at like ShopRite or Stop and Shop or, you know, a larger company that's going to have the resources to put up a plexiglass, you know, window or pane or have necessarily the right equipment to protect herself, like gloves. And like, I don't know what kind of a mask, I know she had a mask, but like how, how effective was that mask given the number of people she was coming into contact with? So finally, <clears throat> I just, I called the store one night and uh and i said uh it's funny i felt like i was calling like like a like a friend when i was a kid like i'm like hi celeste there <laughs> <laughs> can celeste come play yeah yeah and and the owner was like who's this 
and I, I said, it's one of your customers. And I said, tell her it's Robin. And um, it's funny because then the, like, uh, the call got dropped like a little bit later and I was like, is he paranoid? Does he think I'm going to be saying something about what's happening in there? I don't know what, you know. So I called back and I thought he was going to hang up on me, but he didn't. He put me through to her and I said, hey, Celeste, it's Rob. I'm like, well, I wasn't that jovial, but I was like, hey, Celeste, it's Robin. I just have been thinking about you. wanted to see how you're doing. And um, she's like, oh, Robin, thank you. I'm, she's, she's like, I'm good. I go, I don't, I said, I'm not sure if I believe you, Celeste. And she's like, <sighs> gave out this like big exhale and was like, I don't know what's happening in the universe that, that told you that I needed to hear from you. And I said, can I call you later? I said, I know you're at work. Can I get your phone number? And she said, yes, please call me later. And she gave me her number and I called her that night and I said, um, you know, how are you doing? What's going on down there? Can I do anything to help? And she told me that her sister, she, so Celeste lives in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was taking the subway. This is in like March, late March, early April. Um, and she said it was okay because like so few people were riding the subway. She said, my sister has COVID. She's a nurse's aide. She lives upstairs. I know she's going to be okay, but I'm really worried about her. Mm-hmm. And she said, I cannot find Lysol anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I said, did you look here? Did you look here? Did you like, cause like places like in my neighborhood right. that were not necessarily like obvious places to look. And she said, I went all to all those places. And I said, I'm in the Hartford area and you know, it's hard to get some things up here too, but I suspect that I'll be able to get things a little bit faster than you can. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, keep me, keep me posted if you get, if you are able to find it or not, and I'll, I'll be on the lookout for it too. So I called CVS, the local CVS, and I found out when they were, um, I'm like, when do you get your shipments? Mm-hmm. They said 7am on Wednesday. I was like, okay. So I showed up at like, you know, 715. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause they needed time to <laughs> stock the shelves. And, um, and I finally found Lysol and I shipped it to her. And, um, cause I hadn't heard from her. It was fine. I just was like, it doesn't matter. Let me just, sh- you know, let me just ship it to her. And she texted me back and I had been checking in on her throughout, just sending a text, like thinking about you, sending you love. Um, and so, yeah. So then she sent me a message back, like, thank you so much. You know, I really appreciate it. And it was not, it, you know, it's not like I did anything big. I just cared and I reached out yeah. and I responded like, yeah. It wasn't hard. It's just like you just, it's just making a little bit of an effort. Exactly. And then I checked in on her a few weeks ago and I was like, how's it, you know, just want, wanted to let you know, I'm thinking about you. How are you doing? Just texted her. And she told me that her hours were cut because they haven't gotten, um, they haven't had a lot of business. So I said, um, and I know, you know, she's worked there for over 20 years. Wow. So I said to her, have you been getting the texts from the city? And cause they were having, you know, small updates each day, like, uh, you know, wear a mask and social distancing and all that stuff. But I had just seen one about employment. So I sent her some links. I was, and, uh, I said, I know they're looking for contact tracers and I heard about this job and you know, whatever. I just, I just was like, I, I need to send her something, you know, like at least give her some hope. Right. Um, and, uh, and she was like, thank you so much. And, um, 
But you know, again, it's like it's not much if you just like you say care. Not much, but it does it does require you to look outside of yourself and like it's it took you so little time and so little effort. But if everybody did that with mm-hmm. one other human being in their life, mm-hmm. I just think mm-hmm. the whole like happiness or at least sanity level mm-hmm. would rise tremendously. Mm-hmm. I think that's. I awesome. completely agree with you. I mean, I it's it's like funny to talk to you about this because it's something that I absolutely love doing. Like it comes from my heart, and I just know like the smallest difference that you can make in someone's life. It's like she's able. I mean, luckily her sister's healthy and she's okay. Oh, you know. Right. Um, and it was funny because I, I said, I, I said to Celeste, I was like, I had just gotten a box of, I, I was a guest on a, on like a zoom happy hour for some tequila brand and they had shipped me four bottles of tequila. And I was like, I said, you want me to throw a bottle of tequila in, in with a Lysol? And, I, <laughs> and she's like, tequila is my favorite. And uh, I was like, let me, I said, let me see what I can do. And then I, I contacted the, the brand. I'm like, anyway, you can send her. Uh, I said, I'm happy to send it. And they go, you can't send it over state lines. And I was like, okay, can you send for a bottle? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then they're like, well, you can go on the website and buy it. And, da, da, da. and I was like, I'll just hand over it to her because I'm going to want to see her anyway, you know, yeah. when, when I'm back in New York. But I, it's, it's so like, it's so frustrating to know that I can't, like, I know when we're able to give each other a hug, she and I are going to like be puddles because- Forever. We gave each other hugs before this. Like, I know her birthday's August 25th. <laughs> I also know when my Taylor's birthday is. Like, I will pop in. I'll be like, hey, Yuri, happy birthday. And he's like, oh. Oh, my it gosh. Lissa, it is the smallest thing that you can do to just, like, I know, but I think people forget that because it ends up going into the list of the to-do list with all the other stuff and all those things add up and become overwhelming. And so people are like, well, I might as well do nothing. Whereas if you just take the 30 seconds, even to like sign a card for somebody that you know mm-hmm. it's their birthday or anniversary, whatever. And mm-hmm. this is a problem that I personally, it's a, something that I'm working with where I used to be so good about sending everybody cards mm-hmm. for birthdays and holidays. That's great. Um, and, I, and I stopped because every time I did it, it was like I was reinventing the wheel. It was like I had to write a whole mm-hmm personal letter and make oh my sure god you're just like me <laughs> eloquent and not repetitive but robin it took up so much of my energy i get it that rather than just scaling down mm-hmm. i fell off completely mm-hmm. and yeah. i really i appreciate your reminder that even a little bit of effort is better than none yeah it is i mean i'm, I'm it's funny your love language must be words of affirmation 100 <laughs> percent. yes because <laughs> i do the exact same thing with cards yeah. you know i'm also a writer so it's like right. oh no well i mean this card is fine but let me but tell you something i don't want to exactly i don't want to give you like some mediocre hbd like i want to tell you something oh. unique that nobody else has said to you mm-hmm. ever <laughs> yeah i even like you know people with whom i'm close i'll call them on their birthdays and i give them a custom happy birthday song and i never <laughs> know what i'm going to do so i'll be like you know, I'll call my best friend. I'll be like, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, dear Kristen. My favorite person in the world who I love tap dancing with, who loves chocolate way more than I do, who is a, uh, used to work at the, at the Humane Society. Like, I just like ramble <laughs> on and I like whatever comes top of mind of like what yes. I think of for that person. I'm like, and I love you. Like, and you know, and then I'm like, happy. And, like, and she's like, you crack me up. And then I do it for her daughter. Her daughter's like, how does that do you ever come up with these things? I'm like, 
I am not making any of this up ahead of time. <laughs> that obvious. That's, <laughs> improv. That's improv. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but if I can share the vulnerable story that I wasn't actually going to share, because yeah. it's connected to the Wienermobile. Right. Um, this is a great way to close it out. Thanks. So, um, so this is one of the vulnerable where it's like sharing more than what I was suggesting earlier about like showing that you're flawed. Um, but I do think it, it, when I, I used to be really humiliated by this experience and the more I shared it, the more people connected to it. Uh, and the other thing that happened with it was that it had such a hold on me that the more I shared it, the easier it got to share that story. Mm -hmm. And it changed my, the story I was telling myself in my head about what that experience was like. So when I, you know, I grew up, um, I was in high school in, in like the late eighties and, you know, like a lot of kids, I had like big hair, um, you know, Italian Jew, dark, curly, trapezoidal Brillo pad like I, that, yes, that I was rocking. <laughs> yes, I know it. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the hockey team called me Big Head, which is so unoriginal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I would sit there quietly and not say anything. And then every morning they would write it on my locker. And every in like big black Sharpie. And every morning I'd go in like a bottle of Windex and try to scrub it off. Mm. Um, and never told anybody because I was, you know, so embarrassed by it. So then I went to college and I was like, clean slate. Nobody knows me here. I, I deliberately chose that school partially because nobody knew me there. Right. And somehow out of nowhere, um, these, this, these guys who lived the floor below me started calling me this name and they would yell it out the window every time I came in and out of the dorm. They would leave me messages on my answering machine. They thought I looked like um, a guy from a movie. It's an old movie. It's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh-huh. And it was the science teacher whose name was Professor Vargas. I'd never seen the movie. I, I couldn't even make out what they were saying. It was like, you know, like, right. it, but, it, but it was like this menacing sound and it was scary and unnerving. And um, they'd leave me messages on my answering machine and call and wake me up in the middle of the night. They would whisper behind me in class, yell at me in the dining hall because I wasn't saying anything. And this was happening to me like around the clock. Um, it grew to about like 60 guys who did this to me wow. and it was terrifying because I was afraid to be home I was afraid to be out I was afraid to be anywhere um and one time they uh I thought like I was like a shell of of myself I didn't let on that I was really bothered by it but inside I was so devastated by this right. and I remember finally like so I would study like crazy and just I would I was in, I was hiding all the time and I remember one time I went to block party because I was like oh I want to go dance and sing and like 16,000 students are going to be hanging out they're never going to find me so mm -hmm. I can like finally be free mm -hmm. and uh so I'm like hanging out drinking a peach Bartles and James wine cooler, like singing along to the laws. And I was like, there she goes, like having the time. I was having a time. And uh, 20 of them came up and surrounded me. And they came closer and closer. They all surrounded me and they just screamed, fuck it, fuck. Like, oh, God. got so close to me that I could smell like the beer on their breath. And I didn't know what it meant, like I said. So I was like, and I had never spoken to them because I was so afraid of them. Of course, you know, stereotypically, like the the ringleader was um, on the football team. Right. So 
you know, it's like freshman boys. They were all trying to like lob onto this guy because they're insecure themselves. And it's like, oh, you're on a football team. I went to Syracuse. Like the football team was like incredible at the time. Right. So they just want to feel better about themselves. And, uh, and I finally was like, what does Vargas mean? And they're like, best times for Brisbane High. You look like Mr. Vargas. Like, and it's so stupid, like, when I say it now. But at the time, I was, like, 17. I was scared out of my mind. And I didn't want to tell anybody because it was so embarrassing. It's like, you're telling me I look like a man? That's awful. Yeah. And also, it was just, like, constant harassment. And then there was another time where they cornered me in the elevator, and I rode down 19 flights, just scared out of my mind for my life, because I just stayed fixated on the numbers. Every time the doors opened, it was some of these guys who knew about it. So I finally reported them, because my friend from Long Island was like, Robin, you're being harassed. You need to say something. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God, like, that's such a big word, you know. It's, yeah. It's, it's very scary, and I and like my residence director didn't take me seriously when I, when I it took, it took so much out of me to tell her what was happening. Yeah. And I was like vice president of our hall council. So like I knew her. Right. And still she would, she was like, oh, they're always beating people up and breaking into cars. Like you should consider yourself lucky. And I was like. Really? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then I reported to the judicial board and they gave him like a slap on the wrist. Um, but uh, so basically for like the better part of college, I was completely scared and I would have really early morning classes. I would do all kinds of activities where I was like, they're never going to find me. I was afraid to be on the campus TV and radio station. Cause I'm like, that they're going to make fun of me even more. Like it really seeped into every part of my being. Um, the one thing that's sort of like interesting about this whole thing um, is that you know, they had to write me letters. And one night I was getting ready to go home the end of freshman year. And uh, my roommate, Mindy, who would probably never would have been all that helpful in this situation because she's all of 5'1". Um, <laughs> she... Feisty, though? <laughs> What's that? Feisty? No, unfortunately. <laughs> I, we're very good friends. I love her to pieces, but she was just as scared as I was. And um, and, uh, and I'm 5'8", for your listeners, just to give you a sense. And... Um, and so I was like rolling up my erasure poster and like singing along to Les Mis and harmonizing, you know, and I had my door cracked open just a little yeah. bit and uh, she wasn't there. And I looked up and I saw Chris, who was the ringleader behind this whole thing. Uh-huh. And he's staring at the floor and he's, his hand was like shaking. And I said, Hey, Chris. And he was stunned because I'd never spoken to him. Right. And he said, uh, um, he's stammering and he's like, uh, uh, they told me I had to give you this and he stretches out his hand and he's got a letter uh-huh. which obviously is like one of the apology letters and I said okay yeah thanks I'll look at it later why don't you come in and wow. he was like huh he was like huh like what like so he Does walks not yeah. right well so here's here's what gave me the confidence to do this I had been studying nonviolent action and social change all year so I was like, oh my God, I'm okay. I'm Gandhi. You're going to be so proud of me. I'm going to like <laughs> work this out peacefully. We're going to have this great moment and we're going to, it's going to be so beautiful. And, and so I, he sits down on my like, you know, little twink, not twink, my little uh, pink twin comforter yeah. bed. And I roll my chair up over to him and I just said, hi, I'm Robin. Cause he'd never addressed me as that, you know? Wow. Takes my hand and he says, I said, he said, I, I'm Chris. I said, I know. And then I said, I just have one question. Why? 
why did you do that? We we just met, right? Yeah. And he's like shaking his head. And I said, you and your friends have made my life a living hell. And I went through all the ways that they were doing that and how I said, I tried out to be the Syracuse mascot and you were screaming at me out the window and like, you know, everything I shared before. Sure. And he just was like, had no idea what to say. And I said, I never want to hear that name again. And you tell your friends, I never want to hear that name again either. And he shakes his head very vigorously. And meanwhile, girls are standing at my door like, oh. <gasps> Oh my God, like, are you okay? Is it, you know, like, like one of them, this girl, she was so funny. She also was like five, two. She was feisty. She was like ready to throw down, you know? And I'm like, I got this, Hunju. Don't worry. I got this. And, uh, and, um, and he left and I was like, so proud of myself for saying something. And I thought for sure that would change everything, but it didn't. They still would like stare and snicker at me. Had such a, that is such a movie moment. That is such an eighties <laughs> rom com movie moment, and I'm so proud of you. Oh, Even you're if sweet. it didn't change, like, oh my gosh, what an amazing! Were you shaking too? That's such an incredible. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you. No, you know it's funny. I was, um, I was so confident because he was by himself, right? And I knew I had all the power at that point, right? Um, like. I don't think I like consciously knew, but something in me just felt so confident because I was always a, a confident person, but I had all these horrible like uh, bullying and harass harassment situations with huge groups of guys. And so because of all that, like that's why by the time I was a senior, I had all this regret because I didn't do any of the things I wanted to do. Like I wanted to study broadcast journalism. I wanted to do features and be a host and all this stuff. But the um, got in the way. Right. But also like he got kicked out of school um, just for all the things he had done with, you know, beating people up and stuff. But there were so many of them who were still there. And even though they didn't say anything, the way they would look at me or snicker was enough. Right. And I just was like, it was like, it was, it was incredibly uh, traumatic. And so I didn't face it until senior year. I just, I, I fell into a very deep depression and I was um, contemplating suicide until I saw the Wienermobile. Oh my god and that's why like, that when is the wiener mobile coming in <laughs> yes but that's people... also why that job meant everything to me absolutely it gave me so much hope it it, it allowed me to like find who i was again and express and, myself a thousand percent and you were already because you'd been harassed for so long mm -hmm. kind of immune to people pointing fingers or making fun because you'd already been through a way worse version of that. Yeah, so you're yeah. like, yeah, I'm in a dick shaped automobile. Come <laughs> at me. It is Basically. fine. Yeah. It's funny. Cause when I worked on the solo show version of it, somebody said, why would you ever want to do that job? Cause you're just calling even more attention to yourself. And I was like, I, I, cause you had said something similarly at the beginning. And I was like, I really never looked at it that way. I really was just like, I looked at it so outwardly, like, look at all these wonderful funny moments and smiles I can bring to people. Like it was so not about me. It was like, look at this, truly the vehicle I have to, you know, allow these like moments for other people to be like 
just to turn their day around for even just a, you know a few seconds. Literally the vehicle of empathy. I know. I know. <laughs> I never thought to say. I know every pork pun on earth, and I never <laughs> thought to say that before. I was like, this is amazing. Um, uh, I love that. I'm so glad that you shared that with me. Oh, and, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. I just felt like if we're talking about vulnerability, I, I kind of felt like I needed to kind of back up that story. <laughs> pun intended. Back up that story a little bit. Um, <laughs> just because I think like once you then like you said, like once you hear someone's story, like you're not going to forget that. And right. And by, it kind by, of helps inform, like, I think if you see someone being bullied or, you know, I don't know, there's, there's other uh, people have all kinds of reactions to stuff, but. Well, ultimately I think when people bully other people, it's because they don't see them as a real human being. They see them as an, an object of ridicule. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I love any story in which uh, somebody stands up to bullies. That just gives my mm -hmm. whole inner child so much peace. And oh. I love it. Well, can I tell you one last part of it, which I completely forgot? Yeah. That I think for your 80s movie, you're going to love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so after I have all this, like, you know, all this, like, deep depression and, like, really uh, don't know what I'm going to do with myself, and then I get the Wienermobile job, I was asked to sing at my graduation and it was in the carrier dome. I was in chapel choir, which was like, to me, like a safe place I could go without right. these guys harassing me. And I was like a freaking Jewish and I'm singing at chapel choirs. And also driving a hot dog truck. Yes. But this was before I, before I was on the road. I'm just saying that's not kosher, but yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, oh yeah. I, I, I'm full of contradictions. I was, <laughs> I, I went, I went to a church camp as a kid. So, um, <laughs> That's sure. a story for another day that I it's will definitely yeah. ask you about. Uh, yeah, but anyway, so um, I, uh, this woman, Heather, so I was, I'm an alto and she was a soprano. And so we were singing in, in um, chapel choir and she said, do you want to sing at graduation? And I was like, oh my God, that would be amazing. Of course yeah. I do. And so we were going to sing the alma mater and the um, uh, national anthem. And I said, I would like to come up with a song for the students. Do you want to be part of it? And she said, no. <laughs> I said, it's going to be funny. And she's like, no. So we sang together. Now, the other thing I have to say is that I was so obviously so excited for this opportunity. And I was writing this song. I was writing um, a parody of Sesame Street. And it was basically like kind of like poking a little bit of fun at some of the professors who we take, like we had a statistics professor who drooled. So I was kind of like, you know, teasing him, but like obviously not bullying, but like doing it in a fun and playful way. Writing, writing, writing until the last second. And I was going to be singing that acapella. Well, two or three days before graduation, I completely lost my voice. Oh, no. Yeah. And by the way, I lost my voice the first week of college and the last week of college. No. So symbolic. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and anyway, so she leaves me, I wound up doing it cause I was like, I'm absolutely not gonna not do this. You know, I was like coating my throat and everything. And I sang to the best of my ability. So she, we sing our two songs and she steps off and I'm on, I'm center stage yeah. at the podium in the carrier dome singing to like thousands of people. Wow. And I can see all the bullies down in the rows in front of me and I'm like yep screw you guys fingers in the air massively and just like I mean the 
like the laughter that was filling the carrier dome and just like people were, I could see them all too, you know, like, like doubling over in laughter and all this. And I just felt so incredibly empowered and so confident and so like victorious with those guys. Cause I was like, you didn't push me out of here. I yeah. stuck, you know, I, I sticked it out or I stuck it out, I sticked it out. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I was like, look at, uh, I, I, I was like, they're laughing with me, not at me. And that was incredible. And then when they came to get their diplomas, I'm like on stage with like deans and faculty and all these staff. Oh, and I'm watching each one go by like, you know, slow clap. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I was like, I'd rather use two fingers to address you as you walk by. As opposed um, to 10, yes. Yeah. Oh my God. So, isn't that like so great for like an 80s movie? I mean, I hate to say that. No, it really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of blown away. I can't believe I didn't know this about you before, oh, but I love it. And it just gives thanks. me, it's just such a victory story. It's just such a good victory mm -hmm. story. Yeah, you want the underdog to win. Oh, Wait, till, I won't tell you this now. We'll talk another time. But I, the story of actually when I get into the Wienermobile and get paired with somebody who's my complete opposite, that's an even better story. Oh my gosh. I, I, it's like another underdog situation where I have to stand up for myself again and I do it in the most epic way. I'm working oh. on a screenplay for it. No, I love the teasers. We're going to come yeah. back. <laughs> so you listeners know Robin has many more stories where these come from. And oh, um, sweet. why won't you um, tell them where, tell people where they can find you? Great. Thank you. Um, it's at robingelfenbein.com. And then all of my handles are pretty much a version of that. So Twitter is Robin Gelfenbein, Instagram is robin.gelfenbein. And I've got my Yum's the Word show also. And um, we've got a podcast and YouTube channel and wonderful storytellers. Everything's funny. Everything I produce for the most part, there's like one story that's not funny. It's the one I just told you. Um, <laughs> but other than that, everything is, is funny and true. I love so that's it. where you can find me. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me, Robin. Oh this gosh. was a delight. Thank you. I had a blast. I feel like I just like ran your uh, ear off, but you're a really That's good listener. That's what I wanted, though. That's why I asked you here. I knew you'd have Thanks. good stuff to say. Um, well, so it was so nice to see you, too. I, I mean, want to hear how you actually are. I mean, without you don't have to be recorded to do that. Well, I'm happy to listen. Like you, all I do is is have conversations with people all day long. I love connecting. So you we do? change numbers. Yeah. How are you able to do that and get paid for it? Oh, oh, that's not the part I get paid for. That's just what I'm doing oh. <laughs> in my personal life. I always have like five or six conversations going in addition to really spreadsheets and whatnot. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, if you want to hit on record or turn the recording off, I will, uh, I'll take down your number. All right. Well, Thanks for tuning in to episode two of What's Betwixt Us, Stories of Working While Human. You can find out more about Robin and her projects at robingelfenbein.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-G-E-L-F-E-N-B-I-E-N.com. What's Betwixt Us is powered by Zany, designed to build trust and authentic human connection in remote workspaces. More at Z-A-N-I-E dot A-P-P. -P. Human first, everything else after. Human first, everything else after.